Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to the second message in this revolutionary series called Is the Law Bad? And I'm teaching this series because this is one of the questions or one of the conversations that seems to be coming up all over the world. There is a great struggle going on as to whether or not the Orthodox Church is going to continue to hold on to any part of the Scripture, much less the Law and the Commandments. And it seems like, uh, just as it happened during the darkest days of Christian history, where the Bible was removed from the common people, it really seems like we're on that way again, with a, with a move away from the Scriptures as a way to become more relevant and reach our community. It all sounds good, but maybe, maybe it's not so good. So people are wanting to know. What do we do with the law? I don't understand the law. Why does it seem like God is different from the Old Testament to the New Testament? You know, these are all legitimate questions, but they're easily, easily answered. Now, if you didn't listen to last week's message, you might want to go back and listen to it because I'm not going to have time to do all the recaps on this. But last week, we answered the question where uh, the Apostle Paul said that we know that the law is good if a person uses it lawfully. And so we have discovered now that the problem with the law is not, in fact, the law itself. The problem with the law is evidently, based on his writings, the problem is how it is being applied, how people are attempting to use the law. Now, I want to read the second part of that verse, uh, that passage that we talked about, because he's writing this um, to uh, Timothy, I believe it is. And he, he goes on to say that, uh, he says, we know the law is good uh, if one uses it lawfully. But listen to this, he says, but know this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Now, this is so incredibly important. And I think this is where we really get into trouble trying to understand the law. Um, there are things taught about the law by legalists that are absolutely untrue. The law or the obeying of the law will not make you righteous unless you obey every word of it, every part of it, exactly the way it was written. But also, it's not enough that you do it the way it was written. You have to do it with the same purposes, the same motivation, and the same intentions that God had. Nobody is ever, ever, ever going to live up to that. So it's really important that we understand that maybe the way we have been asking our questions about whether or not the law is good or bad whether or not the law is still in effect, not in effect. Maybe our questions are a little too broad. Maybe our questions uh, lead us down the wrong path. I've always said, if you ask the wrong questions, you always come up with the wrong answers. And you don't know they're the wrong answers because they're the answers to the questions we ask. But listen to this. So he goes on to say this. He said, um, so he says, know this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless, the insubordinate, the ungodly, the sinner, the unholy, the profane, the murderers, of fathers and mothers, um, of manslayers, of fornicators, of sodomites, of kidnappers, liars, perjurers, 
And if there's any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of our blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So it's, it's saying something here that I just going to tell you, you got to get a hold of this from your heart. This is not something, this is a paradox that you cannot get, get rooted in if you're, if you're just going to try to do this intellectually. You know, sometimes people will say, well, see, the law is done away with. Well, that's that actually, no, the law is not done away with. The law for righteousness, according to Romans 10, 4, is done away with. The law wasn't done away with. But the idea that you could be made righteous by obeying the law is completely, completely done away with. But I want you to understand something. That is something that was written in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. In Habakkuk 2, 4, it says that the righteous shall live by faith. There's always only been one type of righteousness before God and that is faith righteousness. And so suddenly, when you when you when we really start looking at all of these scriptures that seem so contradictory and, and uh, uh, paradoxical, we, we can really get confused. So here's the deal. We've got to consider our source. So like I say, last week, we learned that the law is good if we use it lawfully. Today, we've learned that the law, and let me say this, we'll, we'll go into this later, but the letter of the law is not for the righteous. But keep in mind, according to the scriptures, uh, when we were born again, God wrote his law and his commandments on our heart. Now, what's interesting is one of the foremost Greek scholars in the last hundred years, he states that in the language there, uh, that God didn't just write the law and the commandments on our hearts, but he wrote them on our hearts according to his intention. So if we think that the law is bad, why would God write the law on our hearts? Well, obviously, we're misunderstanding. We're, we're, we're just not grasping uh, the subtle differences here. So, number one, maybe we're asking the wrong questions. Number two, maybe we're asking the wrong people what the answers to these questions are. And maybe number three, we're making some assumptions without considering all the facts. This is where we really have to take in the whole counsel of God. So maybe, according to just these scriptures, and we're going, we're going to look at a whole lot more in this series, maybe according to these scriptures, we need to stop vilifying the law because it's something we don't understand, evidently. Uh, but we should begin to discover what is the only lawful way to use the law under the new covenant. Now, Jesus, is he, he fulfills so many things in, in our walk with God. I mean, he fulfills everything in our walk with God. Jesus is the light. He's the way. He's the truth. Uh, he is the living word. He is the logos, which means he's, he's, not just, he's not just a duplication of the information. He is showing you what the word looks like when you put it into practice. He's showing you what the scripture looks like uh, when you apply it to your life. Now, let me just answer this. This is an interesting question, too. You know, uh, I have a lot of friends that that will say that you can't follow the teachings of Jesus because Jesus was a teacher of the law. Now, uh, I can understand what they're trying to say, but I have problems with that because Jesus himself teaches that if you don't obey his teachings, that you can't identify with him as your Lord. And so all through his teachings, either Jesus was a complete liar, or he was a complete uh, lunatic, or 
we're missing the point. We're leaving out parts as to what he's saying. Now, I'm going to answer this question or this, this uh, criticism of Jesus being a teacher of the law in a way that's going to be quite surprising for you. Jesus, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, every writer of the New Testament, every person that was teaching the scriptures that ended up in the Bible, every one of them were teachers of the law. Well, wait a minute. Let me finish, though. But they were not teachers of the Old Covenant. Now, I think we touched on this just a little bit last week in our message, where because of the translation, we get the idea that holding on to any part of the Old Testament or holding on to anything that God said under the law would bring us into condemnation and destruction and all these negative experiences with God. But we looked at the fact that it's not the Old Testament, it's not even the law or the commandments that brings us into uh, a corruption of our, of our faith in Jesus. It's the Old Covenant. You see, we seem to not understand the difference between the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. The covenant is the basis by which we relate to God. The covenant is the contract that was made between God. Actually, uh, the old covenant was a covenant that God made between himself and the nation of Israel. The new covenant is a covenant that God made between himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we only enter into this new covenant uh, when we believe on Jesus as our Lord and when we are baptized into his body and we become one with him, and therefore we share in all of his inheritance. So when Jesus came on the scene, you have to understand that from the beginning of time, the image of God was violated by carnal people. And uh, I'm not going to go into too much of that this week. I'll touch on this some more. But even with the children of Israel, as you're going to discover, God continually told them to only see him as he presented himself. Now, idolatry, particularly under the new covenant, is not so much about building an idol. You know, under the in the Old Testament, uh, idolatry would be where you would you would get a tree or stone and hew, you would hew it out and you would make it look like some kind of image and and you would bow down before it and call it your God. In the new Testament or the New Covenant, uh, idolatry is more something that happens when we create an imaginary concept of who God is, and we yield to that concept rather than who God said he really was, and rather than his the characteristic by which he described himself. So the children of Israel, remember, they had been an idolatrous nation uh, for 400 years. Uh, they had integrated the beliefs of the Egyptians with their beliefs. And in fact, all of the plagues that God wrought against the nation of, of Egypt, every one of them addressed a particular deity that not only did the Egyptians worship, but the children of Israel very probably feared. And so God had to show them that he was their protector uh, against all of these gods that they fear. And so we're going to discover how that God continually, whenever he would give them any portion of the commandments, he would remind them of who he was 
And he would remind them that they had to apply this from their heart. They couldn't do it externally. We're going to find out more about that. But the problem was men who didn't trust God, men who had their hearts corrupted with legalism, with, uh, with occult beliefs, these men took the things that God said, and to some degree, they twisted them to their own personal beliefs. That's what the New Testament would call private interpretation. Private interpretation is where you is where you change or twist the word of God to fit your personal preferences. So the, the truth is, until Jesus came, that there were a lot of good men. There were a lot of prophets that God used. There were a lot of anointed people that God used. But the real truth is not one of them saw God as he really was, fully and completely. You know, in the beginning, it, it says that the word, referring to Jesus as the living word, the word was with God and the word was God. And so, you know, that right there boggles the imagination just to even sort that out. But Jesus was one with God the Father. And as such, everything that he did when he came to planet Earth, everything, everything he ever preached, every miracle he ever worked, everything that he did, he did in exact harmony with God. And so when he comes on the scene and begins preaching, he is everything that he preaches, yes, it is rooted in the law of the commandment. But remember, everything that Paul preached was rooted in the law and the commandments. Everything that Peter preached was rooted in the law and the commandments. Everything in the entire New Testament was rooted in the law and the commandments. But the difference was it wasn't rooted in the old covenant. We have a new covenant, and that new covenant is fulfilled or brought to fruition by the Lord Jesus, because Jesus met all of the righteous requirements of the law. So the law is never a requirement or a standard that we have to meet or that we have to pursue in order to be accepted of God. But Jesus came, among other things, we'll talk a lot about all these reasons he came and what they mean, but Jesus came because no one had ever seen God as he is. No one had ever taken the commandments of God and applied them from the motive of love. No one had ever uh, uh, made people understand that uh, that man wasn't created for the law. Man wasn't created for the Sabbath. Man wasn't created to do all of these things. But all of these things were created for man. The Sabbath was given for man's benefit. The, you know, all of the health laws, all of the relationship laws, all of how you raise your kids, all of how you manage your money that God gave us was given for our good. But you see, religious people twisted that and they use it unlawfully. They use it as ways to condemn and control people and to put a burden of weight on their backs and uh, and really just take control of their lives. So for the when Jesus comes on the scene, for the first time in the history of the world, there is a man. Now keep in mind, he is he is a man but he is also the son of God. Again, th this becomes a paradoxical concept that you can believe it in your heart, but you can never explain it. And he was born of a virgin, so he had he had all the components of a human being, just like you, just like I, just like e everyone else, yet he was still the son of God. But Philippians 2 tells us that he emptied himself and became like a man in every way and was, was found in the fashion of a servant. And so uh, Acts uh, tells us that Jesus 
he was anointed of the Holy Spirit who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Jesus himself said he denied the fact that he had authority on planet Earth and was able to do miracles by being the Son of God. Instead, he said that he had authority on planet Earth because he was the Son of Man. And so Jesus came, emptied himself, whatever that means. You'll have to sort that out for yourself. But he emptied himself, and then he yielded to God and uh, followed the Holy Spirit. And every miracle he worked, everything he ever did for anybody was a gift of the Holy Spirit working in him, just like it's a gift of the Holy Spirit that can work in uh, you or, or anyone else. And so he modeled for us exactly what it looks like when a person walks with God. But keep in mind, all of his morals, all of his values, all of his understanding for who God was, all of his basis for truth was rooted in the law and the commandments. But he never, ever one time implied that the law and the commandments could make you righteous. He never, ever one time implied that, uh, uh, that you had to earn righteousness. All of his teachings, all of his parables, they were not about how to get to heaven. They were about how to enter this realm called the kingdom of heaven that we can enter into here in this life. It was about managing your life based on the uh, morals, values, and ethics of God. So in John 1.14, we have this powerful scripture. Everybody can quote it. If you're like me, I've spent 50 plus years reading and rereading and thinking about this scripture and what it, what it means to my life. It says, uh, it, says in first, uh, it says in John 1.14, and the word, now by the way, that is not the word rhema. The word rhema has to do with a spoken word or, or, even, or even a written word, and uh, the rhema just delivers a message. But the logos is that message based on what it would look like in real life, based on if, it, if it's applied with the same intentions that God has. Uh, uh, based on whether or not it's the same motive that God has, it gets into the logic and the wisdom and the character and all these things about the person that is living it and the person that's speaking. So it says, and the word became flesh. So, uh, so somehow the word of God came, became flesh because it was embodied in Jesus. By the way, it's a really interesting note. Why do the scriptures so many times make a reference? Sometimes I'll call him Jesus. Sometimes I'll call him the Christ. Sometimes I'll call him the Lord Jesus. Well, what's interesting is because all of those terms describe different aspects of who he was. Uh, when it refers to him as Jesus, it's referring to him as a man full of the Holy Spirit. When he refers to the Christ, it's referring to the fact that he is the Son of God. When they call him the Lord, uh, they're showing that even though he humbled himself and became a servant, he will rule and reign over all things. He is the preeminent. So the word becomes flesh, dwells among us, and we beheld his glory. So we get to see in a man, the son of God, he is the son of God, but we get to see what it looks like to see God in a human being, which is exactly what God wants us to show to the world. And it says, and this is, the, this, this is the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in the old covenant, man experienced truth. In the new covenant, we have an added factor, and that is grace. Because truth 
without grace leads us to our own our own skills, our own strength, our own ability to fulfill it. But grace is God's power, God's strength, God's capacity that comes by unmerited favor, that works in our heart, that makes us able to be and do everything that the truth uh, implies. So for the first time, we can go to Jesus, and instead of seeing someone control and manipulate and oppress and judge and criticize others by using the law as a standard uh, of judgment and fault-finding, we see a person doing what was supposed to have been done with the law all along, uh, and that is knowing how to walk in love. I've said this, if you follow my teaching for very long, you know this, but I'm going to say it again. And the Ten Commandments, eight of the Ten Commandments, are about how human beings should relate to one another. Two of the Ten Commandments are related to how, are about how we should relate to God. So it's an amazing thing uh, that we only understand whether or not we're really walking in harmony with God based on whether or not we're walking in love toward others. You know, this is what happened when the, you know, when the uh, the lawyer came to Jesus and wanted to know uh, uh, how to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, well, you tell me. He said, well, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. got to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, now keep in mind, so this whole thing that tells us that walking in love is the only way to be pleasing to God, and that addition to that, that all has to be based on faith, not on works. You know, people will get into works about love, and I, I don't think they intend to, but before long, they're trying to earn God's blessings by walking in love. Well, that's no longer love. When the motive changes, when it's not about serving and benefiting others and helping others connect to God, helping others uh, discover who God is, once, once our motives are out of harmony, then it's, it's no longer the truth. So, so Jesus came and he showed us what God the Father would look like if he was walking planet Earth. But he also modeled and showed us what it would look like if we, as, as believers, uh, would walk, yield to the Holy Spirit living by faith. So we get to see for the first time uh, what the law looks like if it had been applied lawfully, as it could have been from the very, very beginning. Now, I'm still not trying to get you under the law. I do not, not, I'm not a legalist. I don't want you to be a legalist. I don't want you to think that this is going to earn anything from God. But what you discover as you go through, particularly the book of Deuteronomy, but you, but you see this in so many places. You know, the book of Deuteronomy, by the way, uh, is a very unique book. I think it was quoted by Jesus uh, more than any of the other Old Testament books. And the book of Deuteronomy puts this emphasis on the fact that that which is described to you through outward observance, in other words, the law can tell you what something looks like. The law can tell you what righteousness looks like. The law can tell you what honesty looks like. It can tell you what morality looks like. But, um, but the book of Deuteronomy is the one book of, of the Torah that continually emphasizes the need to take that which has been described outwardly and bring it into your heart and do it from your heart. So that, that seems to be one of the major faith and who God said he was 
and the refusal to take his word to heart and turn it into a true belief of the heart has been the destruction not only of Israel, but it's been the destruction of the New Covenant Church. So maybe the problem has never been the law. Maybe the problem has been with the corrupt people who sought to use the law to judge us, to control us, and to manipulate us. Sort of like a controlling parent who is always doing things for their child, but they're really not doing them for the child. They're doing it to make the child dependable. Or even the, the controlling parent who beats down the child's self-worth because they think if they beat them down enough, they can, they can get control of them. But maybe we need to consider that God gave us something that was good, but because we have had thousands of years of people giving us unscriptural ways to understand it, and we have been influenced by preachers, teachers, parents, by people that we love to such a degree that the veil that is over our eyes is not the law, but the way we have been taught to read the law, the way we have been taught to apply the law. Don't forget the two questions that Jesus asked when, when he was approached about the scripture is he said, well, what does the scripture say and how do you read it? You see, it's never what the scripture says that confuses us is how we read it. And we read it with the mindset whereby we have been influenced with all of our, our entire life. So we're not trying to get under the law here, but we want to consider a source. And we want that source to be Jesus. If Jesus is our Lord, then we do not want to deviate from how he modeled, how he taught, how he did anything, because he is the example of how to live in the fullness of God. Uh, you know, I was going to say this before I get off track here. All through the book of Deuteronomy, time and time again, God would remind the children of Israel, I'm, I'm telling you this for your good. In other words, I want your life to work. I want these pieces to come together. Listen, very soon I'll be releasing the audio series that's going to go into deep, deep detail on this. Uh, I don't have it ready right this minute, but uh, it will be released by next week. That's my plan. And uh, if you want to dive in here and invest in yourself, particularly if, if you've been asking these questions, if you've been trying to resolve why it seems like God in the Old Testament, Jesus of the New Testament, don't even look anything alike, you can resolve that. I'll tell you, it will boost your faith and your confidence in God, your confidence in the Word of God more than anything that you probably ever imagined. And mainly this week, I want you to renew your commitment to Jesus as Lord. And if He is your Lord, he becomes the final source of how we will understand anything and everything in the Bible, how we will understand how to apply it to our lives, how we will understand how to live and walk and all these things that God has given us. And if you want to help me raise up 1 billion disciples around the world, go to my website, drjimrichards.com or impactministries.com. Check out what it means to become a world changer. And uh, we are training leaders all around the world. We're raising up Bible schools all over the world that uh, promote the love of God, faith righteousness, uh, the grace of God, the new covenant, the lordship of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, we, we're, we're preparing people to walk through what's coming on the world and live in victory and be overcomers. Thank you so much. Be sure and share this with other people. If you're watching this on YouTube, other places, like it. 
share it, pop in questions that you got in there, check out the website, got all kinds of resources for you. Want to be a blessing to you, man. I'm going to have a great message for you next week. Can't wait to talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the weekly impact ministries, world changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.